Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Today we're talking about how churches go from teaching Bible-based Christian doctrine to sliding into progressive Christian beliefs. So it's no secret that many progressive churches started out as churches that held to the historic Christian faith. It's not like progressive Christians knock on your church door and announce, hi, we'd like to change the doctrinal beliefs of your church. It's typically a slow slide. It's one compromise at a time, and before you know it, your church has become progressive. Well, how does this happen? We're going to tackle that question today, but first we want to let you know about some great stuff going on, uh, plus our tips of the week. Well, we know that a lot of people have been asking the specific locations of our Southern California and Nashville and Shaken conferences. So we just want to let you know that we expect to announce those details in the next week, including tickets going on sale for the Southern California location. So we're getting really close. And we are also really close to being able to announce our fourth location, which is where we're going to be in September. So keep an eye on our social media this week for those announcements, or you can keep checking back at unshakenconference.com for the updates. Well, my tip this week is for parents, especially of middle school or high school age kids. I know that most of us as parents realize that we should regularly kind of check in and ask our kids, so what are you learning at church? What are you learning in youth group? But it's really helpful to also ask what the other kids in the group are saying, especially as it relates to the current cultural issues. Since so much of youth group tends to be discussion-based, those comments and views from the other kids in the group can end up being a focus even more than what the leaders are teaching. So you'll get a much fuller view of what your kids are hearing at church when you ask about what the other kids are saying and how the leaders respond. That's an important one, not just about what the teachers are teaching. That's really good. And I have kids in youth groups, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that tip there. <laughs> and my tip is, uh, it, it kind of has to do with critical thinking and logic, and it's the principle of the burden of proof. So as we talk about progressive uh, churches and that, how that slow slide can tend to happen, often uh, somebody might start challenging what you believe, whether it's on social media or in person. And it's just important to remember that if somebody makes a claim against what you believe, like let's say, for example, they say, well, I don't think that the Bible is reliable. Well, they've just made a claim, and actually you haven't made a claim. So the burden of proof is on them to actually demonstrate why what they've said is actually true. So a good way to go about uh, answering something like that is not to start refuting it and saying, well, that's not true because of this or that, but to ask first a clarifying question. Because when they say it's not reliable, it'd be good to say, well, what do you mean by reliable? They might be talking about the manuscript tradition and how the texts were actually copied. They might be talking about its historical reliability, or maybe they're talking about their perceived contradictions in the Gospels. So it's always good to ask a clarifying question first, and that also keeps you from making a claim that now you have the burden of proof to demonstrate the truth of. After you've asked the clarifying question, it might be good to just press a little and ask where they got that information. Maybe how did you come to a conclusion like that? Or what are the resources you used that caused you to, uh, to decide that the Bible's not reliable? 
And again, that keeps the ball in their court of having to demonstrate why they think their claim is true. And then from that point, then you can know kind of more specifically what they might be talking about, which leads to a lot more of a fruitful conversation. So definitely don't just start making claims. Actually press the other person to demonstrate why they think what they've said is true. So it's the burden of proof. All right, so we're going to be talking about how churches slide, that's the word, slide, into progressivism because it really is not something that happens overnight. I've seen this happen to countless churches, and it's a it's something that happens very slowly. Um, in fact, I wrote an article a few years ago called Five Signs Your Church Might Be Heading Toward Progressive Christianity with some things to look for, like a lowered view of the Bible, you know, the, the heart of the gospel shifts from the sin and redemption narrative to social justice narrative, definition of terms, a willingness to uh, re-examine and even reject core historic doctrines of the faith. Uh, but there's there's different things that we can look for uh, to see if, like, if that's happening in your church. So, Natasha, I want to throw this over to you. Um, how would you talk about this topic of how churches slide into progressivism? Well, I love in your article, and I hope that everyone will go and read it if they haven't already, um, how you say that identifying the signs is not always obvious. Sometimes they're subtle and mixed with a lot of truth. And I think from talking to people that this is the biggest challenge that people are having today. If they looked at your article and they saw all those things happening, those five signs that were already there in the church, they would have the confidence of saying, oh, okay, this is something that's already here and now I need to go address it. But what ends up happening more of the time is that people start to see some ambiguities. They start to see some things that they're not totally confident about, so they're very hesitant to speak out. So an example I think right now is the controversy over comments that have been made by Pastor Andy Stanley mm -hmm. about homosexuality. So in the videos that are being shared online, he seems to be speaking about LGBTQ issues in an ambiguous way that makes it very unclear where he stands on biblical teachings about sexuality. So those who don't know anything about Stanley other than this video could conclude that, well, nothing is wrong per se with what he said, because that could be interpreted in multiple ways. But here's the thing. Many people who have followed Stanley for a while have been noticing a pattern. Mm. There's this kind of like increasing concern over time where we see this over and over again. I actually read his recent book, a bestseller, by the way, Not In It to Win It. And I found it repeatedly concerning on multiple levels. So this is really just an interesting case because it's exactly what tends to happen in churches that do make the slow side into progressive Christianity. The leaders will go unchecked and unchallenged because not everyone is putting the same pieces together mm -hmm. over time. So that means that a lot of people don't feel the urgency to approach leadership and get clarity. They're thinking, well, maybe this is just an anomaly, but they haven't seen those patterns. So by the way, none of this is to say that Stanley's church is necessarily headed toward progressivism, but rather mm -hmm. that it's important to ask leadership clarifying questions on their theological positions if you have a concern. And if they're solid, they should appreciate your concern mm -hmm. and discernment as long as you're doing it in a gracious way. You don't have to wait until something goes horribly wrong in the church to say something. Yeah, that's really good. And I love that you mentioned that there's a pattern. And I'm going to give a really practical example that happened in the church that I wrote my book, Another Gospel, about. So this was a church that I witnessed go from evangelical, non-denominational, Nicene creeds, apostle creeds, all the way into branding themselves as a progressive Christian community. This took about seven or eight years, and it was very slow. It was very subtle. Uh, language was starting to be used in different ways. And what, what tends to happen when that 
that's happening is people tend to question themselves. Like, well, maybe I just misunderstood that, or I don't want to be so judgmental, and I don't want to be hypercritical. And so that can be like this mind game that happens. But there was a lady, a good friend of mine, that I reconnected with years later after she had decided to leave the church, even before they rebranded themselves. And I asked her, what you know, what was the, the thing that made you realize that the church was kind of going off the rails? And she said, well, I, I always would hear things that from the pulpit, and then I would second guess them. So what I decided to do was get a notebook and write down everything that I thought was questionable. And after one year, I looked back at everything I had written on that notebook, and it was absolutely crystal clear that this church was definitely going progressive. And that's what really gave her and her husband uh, the courage to talk to the leadership, and then eventually they had to leave. And so I think that's a really important point because it's often what I call the mushy middle <laughs> that I think lets these things happen. It's actually not really the progressives. It's the people who don't do anything about it. And then they can tend to become like frogs in a boiling water themselves. And so there was this great quote from Al Mohler. This was in his briefing from a few years ago about how it's this passive middle that allows progressive theology to take over. So I'm just going to quote that really quick and I'll throw it back over to you. He, he said this, in almost every case, it's the muddy middle that ends up ensuring the liberal future of the church because the moderates are unwilling to draw clear doctrinal and moral boundaries and to make them stick. They're far more concerned with holding the denomination, the institution, or the congregation together than they are with keeping a very clear commitment to the historic Christian faith and to its central doctrines and moral teachings. Hmm, that's such a good quote. So that, that's, and I, I love that term, the, the muddy middle, because mm -hmm. we know from the data, the, the Barna data that we've quoted and talked a lot about that, you know, only 21% of people who are sitting in evangelical churches, and that's on the high end of types of churches out there, actually have a biblical worldview. So that means mm -hmm. that you're going to have lots and lots of people sitting in church who aren't necessarily aware of or who care about what what the, what is being taught and whether it's doctrinally sound. And so if you're somebody who's noticing those things and no one else is saying something, it could just mean that you have a biblical worldview and you're spotting the differences. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, it, it's like those kids uh, pages where it's like spot the differences between these things. Right. But at least I don't know if you remember this, but this all makes me think of at the VIP lunch at the Unshaken conference, there was a woman who asked a question exactly about this. Mm -hmm. She had concerns about her pastor, but she didn't know just how bad they were. And so she was questioning herself because she didn't want to be, quote, that crazy mom, mm -hmm. you know, where she was the one coming to talk things over with leadership. And so we kind of told her, hey, don't be worried about being that person. There are plenty of people sitting in the mushy middle. You might be the only one who's willing to step forward and ask those important questions. Again, do it with grace. But if they conclude that you're a crazy mom or a crazy dad or a crazy anything because you're asking those clarifying questions, that's on them, not you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remember, too, that according to Titus, one of the qualifications for a biblical elder is to, is to refute those who speak unsound doctrine. We have like that's one of the qualifications of a church leader is to protect the doctrinal positions of the church. And therefore, and this is what we shared with that lady is that you have absolutely every right at any moment in time as a member of that church to ask for a meeting. And of course, we would only advocate that you do this respectfully, that you do this with uh, a lot of prayer going into it. But you have every right to call for a meeting and say, look, I, I heard some things from the pulpit or I've been 
seeing some things on the church's social media site. I have some questions. I'd really just love to hear your heart on these things. And maybe, you know, as these things happened, as my friend did, start to write them down and just ask questions like, you know, what do you mean when you're using these words? It seems to me there's been a more emphasis on the human element of the Bible. Can you explain to me the church's position on the doctrine of inerrancy or inspiration? Every church elder, it's literally their job to know that stuff, to be able to articulate that stuff, and to refute false doctrine. And so it should be absolutely no problem for you to go in and do that. You know, my husband and I when we joined the church that we're at now, I was honestly just so gun-shy from our previous church experiences that um, we asked for a meeting, and I really grilled our pastor. And you know what was so um, just encouraging to me is that I could tell he actually really enjoyed it. He was excited that somebody cared about good doctrine, and he you could tell it, it actually energized him, and, and he loved that we were asking all of these really specific questions, and um, it was just a wonderful conversation. And that that really, I think, is the sign of a real healthy leadership, a leadership that cares about these issues, too, because if they get defensive, if it's if it's something that they just don't want to hear from you, I mean, that's not even just a sign of maybe some bad theology, but maybe some unhealthy leadership as well. So you have every right to meet with your pastor and respectfully ask for clarity, ask for, ask for the chapter and verse where they're getting some of the things they're talking about. You know, what's the biblical backup that you have for some of these things that you're teaching? I love your example of that pastor who was just embracing the questions because I had the opposite experience at a church that we left where when we raised some concerns about books that were being chosen to be studied as a church and we were in this was kind of related to all the social justice stuff that was going on at the time, there was nothing but defensiveness that mm -hmm. was coming back toward us. And it was all sort of, you know, just kind of defending the choice and why this was okay and why we needed to explore these other views. And it wasn't, you know, it, and there are a lot of other reasons why we were kind of bringing things up at the time. But I think that that level of defensiveness, it was completely different than the person who's like, yeah, come on, let's talk about this. I love that you're asking and mm -hmm. let's, let's talk through these. So I, I love that example. Well, thanks for listening today. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to take a second and rate it and leave a review. It helps other people find out about it. And don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast for more long form episodes where we go deeper into subjects like these. For now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that as Psalm 61 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. Oh,